Mother's Day, isn't it? It's a good time to remember uh, people who are important and we shouldn't just remember mothers just uh, one day of the year. Uh, we should remember all the time. But it reminds us of the importance of families. Um, people are important in our lives and particularly those who are family members. And it's hard, isn't it, talking to family members about Jesus Christ if they don't know him. And we can, I mean, I know myself, it's family or friends, you, you have a greater sense of, you know, if I'm rejected, that's going to be really hard. Uh, it's a real challenge to sometimes talk to them, particularly if there is that unbelief. They can't take on board who Jesus is and uh, we get rejected, the message we're trying to pass on. To us, the message is important and vital, but we can't seem to get them to understand that. We see Jesus today in this passage. He's faced with rejection and unbelief. And uh, it's something that's common. It's Sadly, it happens, not just to us. It's happened all along the Christian life. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. Let's look at how Jesus handled it, and let's look at what happens afterwards. In chapter, Mark chapter 6, he comes from Capernaum down in the Sea of Galilee. He goes up the, into the mountains and the hill country to Nazareth, where he comes from, his hometown. He comes with his disciples, so he comes like a visiting rabbi or teacher, um, which would have caused a sensation straight away. And uh, he was preparing his disciples for sending them out, which he'll do straight after in verse 7 of this passage. He'll send them out on a mission two by two. So he's part of that training process and he's preparing them. And he's going to prepare them in what happens here. He's preparing them that you might get rejected. There might be unbelief. It's not all going to be heard. He's preparing them for that also. As his usual practice is on the Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue. Every uh, town, every uh, any, any synagogue only had about something like about 10 families you could have a synagogue. So every little village would have a synagogue. There were synagogues all over the place. But there was a, a, quite a big synagogue in Nazareth. It was where everything on Sunday stopped, or Saturday, everything stopped and everyone came to the synagogue. It was like the olden days of church on Sunday where nothing happened on Sunday. So it's the same here. Everything stopped. Everyone would come to the synagogue. It was the great meeting place. Um, People would stay there for a long time. Uh, They would have a service. They would discuss things. Uh, There would be some singing. Um, And most importantly, there would be reading of the scriptures and the discussion taking place. And the discussion that would take place... um, was where that uh, uh, a rabbi would sort of say, oh, rabbi such and such has said this about this passage, rabbi something something else has said this about this passage, and they discussed the different interpretations. That's how they used to do things. There was an elders or a group of elders who would run things and they were controlling it. Uh, this uh, synagogue, all synagogues, uh, were the centre of community life but also of education and also the government of that area. And the elders would run that if you didn't... Uh, you know, play up, they could punish you or even ban you from coming if you, uh, if you cause trouble. Jesus goes there and he's given the opportunity to expand, uh, to read a scripture and talk about it, uh, which is where common practice. And so we know from uh, the reading in, um, in uh, Luke chapter 4 that Jesus actually cho- chose Isaiah 61 and read that out. And remember that he would have been going to synagogue every week um, with his parents as a baby, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. And we know that when he was 12 years of age, it's recorded that he went to the Passover in Jerusalem, which families would go to at least once every three years, if not every year, but at least every three years. They would all go down to, this, to the Passover week in Jerusalem and stay there and celebrate and come back. And when he was 12 years old, it's recorded he went down there, uh, they came back, he was lost, they went back to look for him. After three days, they found him 
in the obvious place for him, but the least obvious place. Where would you find a kid? In church? No way. Uh, but he was in the synagogue and he was discussing with the teachers, the leaders of the nation, of the religion. Uh, he was discussing and answering questions and, had a, and they, he showed them that they were amazed at his understanding and they were amazed at his answers at 12 years of age. This is the leaders, the religious leaders of the nation. And so you think this would be happening not just in Jerusalem, but it also would have been happening in his local synagogue. He would have been showing the same uh, understanding, the same um, questioning mind, raising questions about and answers. He would have been doing that in the local synagogue every week. So the people of Nazareth would know this Jesus is really sharp with the Bible. This Jesus has got insight. This Jesus has got a really good command of what's going on in the, in the Old Testament, which they had. They would have known that. Not a surprise to them. But something's happened. Because when he comes back now, he's changed. And it says here that uh, he's not merely involved in discussion, but he's teaching with authority and power. Verse 2. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They were amazed because he wasn't just involved in discussion. He was now teaching... And we know from previously he teaches with amazing power. We read in chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Something's happened. Something's happened to Jesus. What's happened? Well, we know at the beginning of Mark he's gone away and he's been baptised by John in the River Jordan. And the baptism, the Holy Spirit's come upon him and this Jesus has suddenly shown himself to be God-made man. He started three years of public ministry, going out there to people, far and wide. And this has happened um, some months before this. We're not really sure of the time, but more than weeks and probably a couple of months before. It's six chapters, but that could be quite a bit of time. It's happened sometime. So he's gone away from Nazareth where he's been been a carpenter He's gone down to John and got baptised in the Jordan River and then this whole new Jesus has come, who he already was, but it's been revealed. God, Jesus as God, has now been revealed. And he's been travelling around, he's been doing this, and he's finally come back to his hometown. Now, they could have been thinking, where did he go? No, he's not gone up to Jerusalem for a week for the um, Passover. You know, he's gone away for weeks, if not months. Where has Jesus been? And he's come back different. He's changed. And we know in chapter 1, verse 15, he was calling people to repent and believe. He was really um, inviting, no challenging people to respond to God. And now he's come back with that same authority that cannot be missed, but also with miraculous power. Even here, some sick people are healed. And they've obviously heard of, of what's been going on beforehand. Um, he's been um, you know, healing the leper. He's uh, raised uh, the dead girl, the sick woman. Uh, people have been healed who are paralysed. Just all going on. Uh, the grapevine would have been working. People would have been talking. They would have known you know, that Jesus has been doing amazing, miraculous things. He looked the same, but he wasn't. He was different. And Jesus had a way of either drawing people to him that wanted to know more or otherwise people would be offended by him and want to fear him or get rid of him. That's how he seems to go through his life. So look what they do in the second part of verse 2. They ask some really good questions. 
Where did this man get these things, they asked, and what is this wisdom that has been given to him that he does miracles? So he's doing miracles. In fact, it says here he couldn't do miracles except a few healings, but they particularly heard about the miracles he's already done and his wisdom. And they're asking right questions, Uh, but they're they're realising that it hasn't come from from a human being person. It's not the work of a human that's done these things. And they're right in rejecting that. Uh, They're right in also recognising he's got wisdom. He's got amazing wisdom. He's been able to um, not quote what other rabbis have said, but if you go back to chapter 2, verse 27, he says, uh, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, when he's being challenged about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he said these probing questions which are wise, which are profound, which really make people either just say, oh, that's rubbish, I won't even think about it, or engage in thinking about it. Oh, there's something to that. Oh, I want to understand that. What is that? And so they want to know more. And that's what Jesus' wisdom does. Also in chapter 3, verse 4. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? But they remained silent. They didn't want to answer. That was when he was going to heal someone with a shriveled hand. Also, he talks about uh, the parable of the sower, where he actually illustrates uh, how the message of God can have a different result in people's lives. A great parable. A parable that really has people thinking, oh, there's something to that maybe. It's wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God that, that can cut through and, and get people to think below, below what they, their preconceived ideas about what they have about life. But it has another effect too. It can unsettle people. It can turn people to want to know more or it can get people's backs up against Jesus. And they're right when they reject him as being, um, you know, rejecting the, the thing that he is. He is a normal person. They're right in there because they say in verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? That's great because we learn about what Jesus used to do. He was a carpenter. And what does the carpenter mean? Well, he wasn't, he comes like a visiting rabbi or teacher. And they say, hang on, this is Jesus the carpenter. I've got stuff he's made for me or fixed up for me. I've worked with him. You know, he's got that tradey sort of look, you know. Um, he, he's got calloused hands. He's not like some cushy person who's been in a theological college, a real soft person and, and gets all dressed up and real pompous. He's a down-to-earth sort of guy. He's a carpenter. They're right in pointing that out. And we learn something about Jesus as we do. They also go on to say, isn't this Mary's son? So we learn about his mother Mary. It's interesting we have no mention of Joseph. And you go through the gospel, there's no mention of Joseph except at his birth, and, and sorry, when you go up to Jerusalem. But after that, from 12 years of age, there's no mention of Joseph. Particularly in his three years of ministry, there's no mention. And afterwards, there's no mention of Joseph. And it's really thought that Joseph passed away. But it's also interesting... If he's Mary's son, he's what? The eldest son? 
firstborn. In fact, we read here that he's got other brothers and sisters, which I want, I've told you this story before. Once I was doing Christian Explain with a guy, really, guy with the biggest mind I've ever mentioned, like a black hole, I'd take all the information in. And he asked me a question. He said, look, this may be a silly question, Wayne. Yeah, go ahead. But did Jesus have brothers and sisters? I thought, I know James, but I don't know. I had to, had to go back to this verse and read it. And then, in fact, it says, it tells us his four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters are here with us. Sorry, ladies, you didn't get much of a mention in those days. But sisters, plural, so there's at least two, but there could have been ten, could have been twenty, we don't know. But just going for the minimum, he's now in a family of seven. Now, when this guy asked me this question, I, up to that point, thought of Jesus as an only child, the virgin birth, only child. Hadn't moved past that. So then I'm thinking, hang on. He's grown up in a normal family, all the normal problems of dealing with brothers and sisters, yet being perfect. And so I suddenly knew an idea, a new appreciation of Jesus. But also going back, if Joseph's not here, in that culture when the father dies or leaves, whatever, whatever reason, but the father's not there, who's responsible for the family? The oldest boy, Jesus. But what's Jesus been doing for the last couple of months? They all know in the hometown, he's the guy who's responsible for the family, but he's been off on a holiday, off partying with his mates for the last couple of months. And now we're hearing these crazy stories about him you know, doing some sort of show with miracles. You could see people could get their backs up against Jesus because he's not doing what is a really rigid, firm, um, expected uh, thing to do, that he'd care for his family and be there. So that could be behind their response also. Because look at their response here in verse 3. And they took offence at him. Uh, if you go over to uh, Luke chapter 4, it's more than offence. They actually try to kill him. They try and drag him out and he goes away. But they really were, really were angry and violent towards him. It was a huge response. Familiarity breeds contempt. They thought they had all the answers about Jesus. They were not prepared for any new revelation. And so they took offence. He could do something they couldn't do. And what right does he have to be smarter? It's almost like there's jealousy and envy sort of already stacked up here also. It's almost, in one sense, the tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? He's only a carpenter's son. How can he be now a rabbi? How can he now be you know, someone of such power? He's got people following his disciples and he's got all this wisdom and miracles. It's almost that tall poppy syndrome. Someone of high status, you're resented, they attack, they're cut down to size, they're criticised because they seem superior. They saw no reason for him to be different. They go from being amazed now to taking offence and in the end trying to kill him. Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and his own house is a prophet without honour. What he does is seen to come from human origin. It's like the prophets of the Old Testament. They had problems. They came and sent by God to proclaim God's word and people would not heed it and rejected it. They can't see that Jesus is now God-made man. They've known him for so long. They've known him from childhood to 30-odd years. They can't see that he's really God. They don't recognise God speaking to them. In fact, 
if we look back a bit, we can see it says, it says it's in that passage there, it's not just the people of the town, it says among his, own, among his relatives and in his own house. So the response is not just the people of the town, the response is actually happening in his family. You go back to chapter 3, verse 31, you see something about that. Remember, he's gone off. Uh, they haven't seen him. He's coming back. Uh, he's down in Galilee, so they've gone down to Galilee to see him here because they've heard all this stuff about him. In chapter 3, verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. As the crowd was gathering around him, they told him, your mother and brother's outside. Um, that's not what I want. Sorry, I've got it. There's a spot there where they, they say that he is out of his mind. Back in verse 21, sorry, 321. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they heard, they said, he's out of his mind. So his family think he's out of his mind. His family sort of, they, you know, don't, the sudden change in Jesus and it's a dramatic change. They think he's out of mind. And when he comes to the town, they're part of the ones who reject him. Not sure, they're not part of the group that try and kill him, but they're part of the group who reject him. We've got to be careful that as people grow up and hear about Jesus, they don't think, I know all about Jesus, because we need to have people who are going to continue to be open and learn about Jesus. And most people grow up in Australia hearing about Jesus, but sadly most people associate Jesus with Christmas and Santa Claus and a holiday, or Easter with Easter bunnies and chocolates and a holiday. That's what most people associate Jesus with. They don't realise it, and they put Jesus in a sort of fairy tale thing, like he's like Santa Claus, like Easter bunny, a bit of a myth. They don't really know Jesus. They think they know him, but they don't know him. We need to be careful with our children. Because our children can grow up, and some children now only hear about Jesus in SRE in schools. But even our children in our families, uh, we want our children, um, it's good if children have the faith of the parents, but it's only good while they're living at home. Because children need to have their own faith. Once they start breaking free from parents, start leaving home, going to the workforce and stuff, if they haven't got their own faith, they'll drift away. They need to have their own faith that they understand for themselves who Jesus is and how they should respond. And we realised that many years ago. So we said, okay, we need to make sure that by the time people finish youth group, um, in our youth group, that the, the youth know Jesus for themselves and know how to respond to him and are really can stand by themselves as Christians. So we did a lot of work on that. And we strengthened that. And then we saw that, hang on, we got this really good response of children in, in primary SRE, Scripture, um, but when they go to high school, they drift away and they don't come to Scripture there. So what's happening between primary and high school? Then we realised lots of peer pressure and changes, and then we realised that children are needed in primary school, by the end of primary school, to have their own understanding and their own faith, otherwise they couldn't stand in high school. So we've done a lot of work now with our children's ministry, with WAVES, with TRACK, with other children's ministry. And the end result is now we've got something going from you know, playtime right through to young adults. And, and the young adults, we've got something like 35-plus young adults meeting on Tuesday night and we've got a massive youth group and we just got this flow-through. It came out in the National Church Life Survey in 2016 because they looked at the retention rate of children in churches. How many retain? 
How many continue to grow, go in the church, really continue to have faith? Our diocese had 65% think, wow, 65%. That's good. We were way above that. We were 78. We're even higher now. The diocese said by 2020 they want to have 70. We're at 78, pushing 80 and plus now already. It's great. Let's keep doing it. But it's that idea of everyone, children particular, young adults, everyone having their own understanding of Jesus, their own faith in him, their own responding to him, that's important. The result is Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his hometown. Uh, miracles, uh, he did a few healings and stuff, but nothing of the miracles that he'd been doing because they were always in response to faith. People who come to him in faith and then they, he works. It's not merely to show who he is, but it's faith in him. And the unbelief of the people in Nazareth, Nazareth uh, precluded them from seeing the dynamic disclosure of God's power, God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ that others were seeing. And so it comes to verse 6, it says, And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Amazed. They're like the parable of the sower, aren't they? The parable of the sower talks about the different sorts of seed as in the different sorts of people's response to the word of God. And these people like the seed that fell on the path. It didn't even take root. It just it went out there but was taken away and didn't even produce anything in their lives. They're like the parable of the sower of seed falling on the path. Words of God not even being heeded and listened to. Satan comes and takes them away. The opposition has caused them to uh, oppose Jesus and as it says in Luke, to the point of wanting to kill him. I mean, that's really a work of Satan. What's that mean for you and me? Unbelief is the context in which the Christian mission will advance. And we're in a world of unbelief and we need to advance into that. And rejection is going to be a common experience. It was a common experience of the Lord. It's going to be a common experience of the church and us as Christians. It's just the world we live in. But Jesus didn't give up. Didn't give up in the face of resurrection. In fact, in, straight away he'll expand his ministry by sending out the disciples two by two. So it's reaching out further. And how do you and I handle rejection if we talk to people or try and talk to people about Jesus or even identify ourselves as Christians? I know it's easy to take it personal, isn't it? Um, but they're not rejecting you or me. They're rejecting Jesus. And we need to remember that as people all down history have rejected Jesus, even when confronted with his miraculous power and who he is, they still reject him. And the problem for me and you is it's really good news. We know it's so exciting that God loves us and God reaches out and saves us in Jesus and has opened up a whole new life with a brilliant future. He's helping us right now and the best in life is yet to come. It's astonishing. It's surprising. It's exciting. It's good news. It brings a joy to your life and a peace to your mind. We want other people to share that. When I go over to see uh, Ben and Carla over where they live, I notice that there must have been a really good door-to-door salesman in shutters because most of the houses there, they've got those metal shutters that come in. I'm sorry, I don't see them many other places, but when I go over there, I see all these shutters. I'm like, wow, okay, someone's done a good deal here. Anyway, shutters are great. Because shutters, when you come down, they really block out the noise, the light, they give you privacy. They're good. It's really hard for crims to get in. They're great for that way too. Um, 
But have you heard of the idea of people having a shutter in their mind? You, know, you mentioned Jesus, sometimes a shutter comes down. Doesn't it? People want to close off. I don't want to hear about Jesus. I want to see him. You know, he doesn't exist. Forget him. Sometimes you can see that happening when you start talking to people about Jesus. And how do you get around that? You can't, you know, you can't force the shutters open in their minds. You've got to try and get them to open up the shutter. You know, you've got to try and get them to be one interested in, and find out about Jesus rather than closing themselves off to Jesus. And so we need to be able to, one, we need to pray. We need to be praying for people because it needs to be a work of God that people want to find out about Jesus. Otherwise, everyone has the shutters on unless God's at work. And we need to also be able to intentionally talk about our faith. We need to be able to create an interest that people want to hear about Jesus. I was at the show on Friday and uh, I was talking at the tables to some people and, and you, you sort of go to the show thinking, oh yeah, it'd be great to have a conversation and people want to find out about Jesus. I'm going to present Jesus and they'll respond to Jesus and become a Christian. That's really be great. Never happens that way. Oh, maybe sometimes, but never ever really happens. Usually you go and talk to people, you talk about the, you know, the most mundane things, you know, the weather and the politics and show and coffee and tea and all the things that are going on around you. Talk to them. And then the conversation gradually shifts and changes. And I was talking to a guy for ages and we we're talking about a whole lot of things and I found some interesting stuff and I, I find that the best thing to do is to try and be interested in, and I am, interested in finding about the person. So where they live, what have they done, what are they doing now, just find out about them. And this guy was a really interesting guy and I had a great conversation just learning about him. I was genuinely interested in what happened to him in life. And then after a while he sort of says, oh, who are you? I said, oh, just at the church. He said, what do you do there? Oh, I'm the minister. Oh, you've always been a minister. No, I was a policeman. And then that led into my testimony. He, he wanted, he kept wanting, he, by now, I'd listened to him for a while, he wanted to find out about me. And he just kept asking me questions. I led to my testimony and then that led to Jesus and that led, I just started going and going and going. In the end, cut a long story short, I gave one of these, invited him to church and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes along sometime. Uh, he's only just in uh, gross, no, North Richmond. Um, but that's what we need to try and do. We need to sort of look for opportunities and try and get alongside people and, and, and sort of interest them in Jesus without sort of coming at them like a bull at a gate and they put the shutters down and close off. And we need to do it with gentleness and respect, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus persevered and we need to persevere because we heard about his family, but let's jump ahead. What's going to happen to his family? You go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, appeared for 40 days, ascended up into heaven. The Christians, the, the, the disciples uh, and the followers of Jesus then went to the upper room where the Last Supper was and they were waiting there and they were praying. It records in chapter 1, verse 14, the disciples are there, there's about 120 of the apostles and about 120 followers of Jesus there, the early church. Guess who's there? Mary. Mary and his brother. Brothers, they're there in the church. They're Christians. They're following Jesus. They're, they're praying for his return. Go ahead in Acts, you'll see that uh, uh, Peter... Um, was leading the church, but then Peter would go off with Paul on missionary journeys and who would look after the church in Acts? It was James, the brother of Jesus. He was the church leader in the church in Acts. So you see this group of his family who think he's out of his mind. His family, one of those when he comes who reject him. And his family now 
over the course of two and a half years following and now become committed followers of Jesus. So they'll stand up and lead. And James puts himself in a position he could easily be killed because he's the leader of the church. But such is his faith in Jesus. Persevering. You see, the truth has a way of coming out, doesn't it? The truth about Jesus has a way of coming out and people can't ignore it. They can try and ignore it and try and ignore it, but in the end it's always there. And we need to be people who persevere. Jesus knew that. He, he showed his disciples there, yeah, rejection is going to happen. I mean, this is what happens to me in my hometown. Now I'm going to send you out. He's preparing them. We need to be prepared for rejection. Remember, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. But also we need to be people who pray and persevere because the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is more powerful than that. And it is a spiritual battle. Satan's working in the background. We need to pray against that. But Jesus has the victory. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this great message that encourages us. For all of us have family and friends who we'd love to come to know you and and uh, for some reason don't or haven't reached that point. But help us to persevere. Help us to live out the truth of Jesus Christ in our life and they might see that. Help us to be have the courage and strength to, to have conversations with them as they arise but not force them. And Father, we pray that people around us might come to respond to Jesus like his mother and brothers did. We pray in your great name. Amen.